The Old Testament reading for Thanksgiving is from Deuteronomy chapter 8. The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, like every other year at this time, We've gathered to give thanks to God for all his blessings to us. And for as many blessings as we can name, there are so many more that we maybe don't think to thank God for. Because I think oftentimes we fall into this trap of thanking God for the real extraordinary things in our lives. Like, wow, God, thank you for coming through in this thing that could not have like, happened uh, for my good in any other way. I was totally powerless. It looked like it was, you know, just not going to go my way. But you made it happen, Lord. But we don't then thank God for the breath in our lungs or for the laughter of children or the crying of children, which is a beautiful sound in this space. All of the things that seem mundane, the mundane glories, even, if you will, of our lives. It's sometimes hard to remember to thank God for those too. But maybe you've had an experience of being brought low with regard to health or with regard to family, relationships or a job. And so you might know, you might have an experience that has helped you not take all of those things for granted. And thanks be to God for that. Knowing that these evening services are often difficult for young children, as a parent of young children, and they're also sometimes difficult for adults after a hearty supper that we just enjoyed. I'm just going to aim at one thing tonight. And that is this, that you walk out of this place grateful to Jesus for being your perfect thanksgiving. For being thankful in a way that you could never be. For trusting God in a way that you could never trust him. And for giving that to you and letting you call it yours. What Moses is saying to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8 is that we don't just survive on physical nourishment. 
Now, in today's times of um, holistic wellness and the focus on well-being of the, of the whole person, you know, it's the 21st century, it's 2022, almost 2023, right? We, we kind of get that. That's, that comes easily to us. Yeah, it's, you need more than just like food and drink and shelter and clothing. You need meaning and purpose, and you need supportive relationships, and you need to feel accepted. These things are all good for a person. What also helps us take this in as like, yeah, duh, Moses, is that none of us know what it's like to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years only having one day's worth of food at a time. Because that was the Israelites' reality. They were fed with manna, which is a Hebrew word that basically means, what is it? They saw it and they went, manu, what is it? And they just called it that, manna. Let's have some what is it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And God told them, you're only allowed to collect as much as you need for one day. Because if you tried to gather up more than that, what did that say about your heart? About how much you trusted the Lord to provide your daily bread. So if they tried to gather up more than they needed, it would, it would spoil immediately. Now there was a provision for the Sabbath. They could gather enough for the Sabbath also, the day leading up to that. But still, for the Israelites, this idea that uh, filling our bellies and just surviving out here in the wilderness, all one or million or two million of us, for 40 years, then they come up to the edge of the promised land and Moses says, remember, you don't live by bread alone. And they're like, what? That's all we've ever known is daily bread. That's been the struggle. Even without God's word, we have evidence today that leads us to accept that there's more required. Nearly a third of multi-million dollar lottery winners eventually declare bankruptcy. Did you know that? More than a third. That's 33% of that group of people. You know, the, I looked this up and each year in America, it's like half of 1% of the general population declares bankruptcy. So half of 1% into third, that's like 66 times more likely. I don't know, don't, don't correct me now. You can correct me later if that's wrong. 66 times more likely to declare bankruptcy if you win a multi-million dollar lottery. That's not good. <laughs> you, don't want to, you don't want to go there. A Swedish study of more than 2,500 winners of the Swedish lottery, this is done by three Swedish economists, said that they, quote, found little evidence that winning a large amount of money in the lottery had any significant impact on winners' happiness. They also found winning big in the lottery does not substantially improve people's current mental health. More is required than just stuff, money, food, a nice house, a nice truck. Physical provision is important. I'm not here to deny that, but it doesn't fulfill the soul's desires. And what does? The word of the Lord. And that's what God was teaching the Israelites through their 40 years in the wilderness. He gave them everything they needed and not anything more so that they would know that their life was not sustained by their full bellies, but by the God who loved them, who cared for them, who lived with them as their God. So, you know, thousands of years after the Israelites, you might be wondering, good for them. But how is this helpful for me? Your thoughts might be to your turkey. Has the brine worked through? Should I have started it a day earlier? Is it thawed? 
I guess you'll find out. But remember when I said my one goal tonight is for you to walk out of here almost skipping. You don't have to actually skip, but in your heart, with your heart full, knowing that Jesus is your perfect gratitude, your perfect thanksgiving. There's no effort required on your part to muster up some gratitude and thanksgiving to be a good Christian, right? Jesus has done it all, and he's given it to you. God tested Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. What was he testing for? To see what was in their hearts. He was humbling them. He was trying to see if they would follow his commandments. And did they? You know this. They did not. Again and again and again and again. They failed. They made idols to worship. They were called stiff-necked people. I don't know how many times. Now, one possible direction you might think that I'm going to take tonight at this point is this. Israel had their wilderness wanderings. God sustained them. You have wilderness wanderings in your life. And God's going to sustain you, so just hang on. It's just an object lesson. Just be like the Israelites. But you don't want to be like the Israelites. I mean, the, the truth is we kind of are. We can't look at them and say, man, what a bunch of doofuses, because we're really just pointing the finger at ourselves there. I'm not going to tell you to trust a little more, obey a little better, and receive the blessing of that, because you can't. The Israelites couldn't. One page after this reading, in my Bible anyway, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, God says this to the people through Moses, Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Friends, I love you, but you are a stubborn people. I am a stubborn person, part of this stubborn people. Apart from the grace of God, we are all in this category. We don't measure up to God's standard. So what hope do we have? The same hope we always have as Christians, that Jesus Christ is going to make this work for us. So here's how in Jesus we have perfect trust, thanksgiving, and gratitude toward God already, right this very moment. God calls Israel his son in Exodus, back a few books in the Old Testament, Exodus 4.22. That whole thing with Pharaoh, Moses goes up and says, you know, let my people go. God says, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. The nation of Israel is God's son. Now, when speaking through the prophet Hosea, much later in the Old Testament, God says there in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called my son. In reference to the Exodus. Well, and at least as far as Hosea is looking back. This is also a prophecy, as we're going to see in a second. Israel was called out of Egypt by God, who called Israel his son. Do you know what happened in the life of Jesus when he was very young? We're going to hear about it in the Christmas Eve service in a few weeks. But Herod, hearing that the king of the Jews, by the way, he was the king of the Jews. So these kings from the east come to him and they say, we have heard that the king of the Jews has been born. We have followed the star. Where's Bethlehem? You know, uh, and Herod says, oh. when you find him, come back and tell me so that I may go and worship him. 
Herod eventually killed every boy ages two and younger in the place where Mary and Joseph and Jesus were thought to be. But they had fled, and they had fled to Egypt. And so they come back after Herod has died, and Matthew says in Matthew 2, 15, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So in Jesus' life, what he's doing is recapitulating everything that Israel was supposed to be. Israel was God's son. Jesus is the only begotten son of the father. Israel as a son was pointing forward to Jesus. Israel being the son called out of Egypt was pointing forward to Jesus being called out of Egypt. And as Israel was tested in the wilderness and failed, Jesus was tested in the wilderness and succeeded. He was driven by the spirit into the wilderness for how long? 40 days and 40 nights. And he fasted there. He was hungry. And he was tested just like Israel was to see whether he would obey God's command, whether he would fear the Lord. And Satan shows up and says, hey, since you are the son of God, turn this stone into bread. God makes bread come down from heaven all the time. You're God's son. Mr. Israel, feed yourself. And Jesus says, what? Who said that? What, what did he say? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He says the very thing that Moses told Israel to fulfill it, to perfect it. And not just so that Jesus would be perfect and we would not be, but because we are baptized into Christ, his death and resurrection and ascension, you know, we're also baptized into his perfect life. His obedience is ours. His trust is ours. His gratitude is ours already. And it's not just that. So Jesus isn't just giving us an example to follow. He's succeeding for us so that as we participate in him, we also have his success and his obedience. But there's another way that we make this our own. Not just by faith, but also by eating him. Which, yeah, some eyes just looked up. Eating him? What? That's what Jesus' audience in John chapter 6 thought too. Because many left him after he said, Whoever does not eat my flesh and drink my blood will not have eternal life. Jesus had just fed this huge crowd with loaves and fishes, and they're following him around, and they're like, Jesus, you should do this all the time. And he's like, yeah, I, you know, I, I came to give bread from heaven to the world. And they're like, hey, bread from heaven. Our fathers, you know, God gave our fathers bread from heaven in the wilderness, this seems like kind of an improvement on that, actually. So can we just, like, you know, keep this thing going? I mean, what else do you got going on, Jesus? And he says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And then just to really put a point on it, he says this, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Which is why we say, take, eat. 
This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ given into death for you. And take drink. This is the true blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins. The manna that the Israelites were provided in the wilderness did something to build their trust in God, but not perfectly. It filled their bellies, and for some of them, I think it filled their souls as well. But others of them rebelled, and Israel's history in the wilderness is full of these episodes of them grumbling about this worthless food. Moses, you brought us out into the desert to die. There's no water out here. All we have is this worthless manna. According to Jesus, that bread from heaven was never the real thing. Never the real bread from heaven that would give life, true life. But just like the Exodus, right, out of Egypt I called my son, was pointing to Jesus. The manna from heaven was pointing forward to Jesus, the true heavenly manna. Jesus offered up his body on the cross so that by his death, your sin would be replaced by his righteousness. Your ingratitude would be replaced by his perfect thankfulness. Jesus went through testing and trials in the wilderness for a period of 40, trusting that he would live not by bread alone, but by everything that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And then he went to the cross, trusting that in doing so, he, as that word of God, as John describes him in chapter one, the word became flesh, that he would offer himself to the world to give life to whoever would believe in him. Jesus is the word of God by which we live. Jesus is everything that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, that sustains us. Especially when we have communion, but not just when we have communion. When he speaks to us through preaching and through prayer, through friends and relatives and people in your life speaking the word to you, studying the Bible together. The word made flesh, hanging on Calvary's cross, offered to us. Thanks be to God for all his benefits to us, but especially for this, that Jesus takes our feeble, feckless, and failing gratitude and turns it into his perfect, righteous, complete thankfulness before the Father, from whom all blessings flow. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.